Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a small experimental hydroponics research station on Saturn's third moon. The station is run by Sam Foster and his colleague and lover Danny Moran. Far from the overcrowded and troubled Earth, the couple spend their day conducting scientific experiments, playing with their dog Sally, and boning. However, their idyllic life is broken by the arrival of Captain Katie Rogers, who has been sent to the base as part of a project to replace at least one of them with a robot. Katie assembles the robot and names him Hector. One of the first of its kind, a demigod series, Hector relies on pure brain tissue extracted from human fetuses and programmed using a direct link to Katie's brain. Unknown to both Sam and Danny, Katie is a homicidal sociopath who murdered the captain originally assigned to visit the base and took his place on the mission. As Katie uses the link to her brain to program the robot, Hector acquires Katie's homicidal nature and her lust for Sam. Hector initially kills Sally the dog and then assaults Katie, having learned about Katie being a murderer during the reprogramming process. Is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the classic film Saturn 3. However, this is just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is a hunky dork, equals brain and brawn, who bears an uncanny resemblance to Kirk Douglas. It's Sam Foster. Hello. What is this film? I've never heard of that movie. Kirk Douglas movie. Yeah, Sand Free. Harvey Keitel's in it. Sounds very good. Well, Harvey Keitel and Kirk Douglas. It was nominated for a Razzie. Awesome. Danny, as the sorcerers of Camotage like to point out, there are many universes. But none are as lucrative as the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which will continue to expand, much like our own, until it reaches maximum entropy and all life within it is eradicated by heat death. I forget where I was going with that. But anyway, (laughs) on this episode, we'll be reviewing Doctor Strange, Marvel's latest. It's a feast of spells and quipping that weirdly takes its psychedelic visual cues from Christopher Nolan, an incredibly straight-laced man who probably finds the caffeine content of green tea dangerously mind-altering. Danny will be reviewing the new Werner Herzog documentary, Lo and Behold, in which the sage-like German director muses on the internet and lists his favourite emoji. He's also reviewing the animated film Ethel and Ernest, based on Raymond Briggs' graphic novel about the lives of his parents. Sounds dangerously similar to the first 10 minutes of Up, and may be very sweet and touching. I'll probably burst into tears while Danny is making insightful comments about it. Plus, we've got a whole bunch of extremely fun, fun, fun casting news. Hilary Swank has apparently been shafted in some sexist Hollywood thing, the details of which I have not yet read, but Danny will probably tell me about them. We talk about whether Alec Baldwin makes a good baby, and Herzog gives us some exclusive extra internet wisdom from his massive wise brain. All that should leave just enough time for me to read Toby Young's review of I, Daniel Blake, emit such white-hot screams of rage that the review burns to a crisp, and I also burn to a crisp myself. 
and then pay someone to sneak into a restaurant where Toby Young is and drop my ashes in his soup so he eats them without realising and is poisoned and dies himself. <coughs> Not a fan. <laughs> nah, it's a bad Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, cool films, new films, some John Woo films, films that star Peter Fitch, films by David Lynch, films short, films six hours long. We've got films up to your gills with films, 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 movies. Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun. So after basically pleading in a quite pathetic manner last week for more correspondence, you answered our pleas and a lot of people got in touch. I posted a piece about how I thought we were living in an age of old auteurs making great movies, where the received wisdom is that people get shit when they get old, but we just had I, Daniel Blake, Ken Lodge is 80, and I saw L at the London Film Festival, which is Paul Verhoeven's movie, and he's 78 or something, and it's an awesome film, and we had Mad Max Fury Road last year, and George Miller's 400 years old, I think, and uh, I asked people to get in touch with similar old auteurs kicking ass. First uh, reply was Dougal McQueen, who said, Javier Dolan. He's very Jake, young. He's Jake, very young. Uh, Jake response. It's a gag. It's a gag for people in the know. Maybe yeah. he's old in like a third world country where the life expectancy is really low. low. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't want to riff too far on, on that. <laughs> um, but yes, excellent um, cinematic, you know, knowledgeable gag from Dougal. Because I know who that is, I spent a good 35 minutes laughing about it. Um, Jazz Deep suggests Kinji Fukasaku, who is Japanese director, um, who I had not heard of, but he directed Battle Royale in 2000, um, which I have heard of. And then he died in 2003, age 72, which is a relatively goodly age. Jazz Deep also cites Clint Eastwood. He says, Mystic River is one of his best films, in my opinion. He made that when he was 73. Well, let's, Clint is an interesting one because he has a somewhat patchy film career. I haven't seen Mystic River. But he um, makes so many films, it's like baseball, right? If he gets... Yeah, he's got a... You just eventually, you're going to hit a homer. Yeah. Yeah. I think... I, re- I reckon his average over the last... Um, well, I don't know how long. Non-expert in his film career. But it's not particularly great, I would say. Well, American Sniper got awards love, but it was a bit controversial. But neither of us saw it, right? We didn't see it. It sounded like it would have been bad to me. Had a bad fake baby in it. That's mainly what I remember about it. Yeah. Um, Gran Torino is pretty good. He's even older then. Yeah, he was even older. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe. Why not? Tim Rogers, whoever that is, he also writes in. He says, how old is old? Which is a fair comment. Polanski made The Pianist at 69. Not as impressive as Ken Loach's 80, but older than me. 69. That's not old. Well, Jazz Deep uh, cites the director of Battle Royale, and if he died in 2003, age 72, then when he in 2000, yeah. he would have only been, you know, 70 or 69 or something. Maybe over 60. 65? Yeah. That's the cut-off point. Yeah. Well, when I think good um, definition of old would be whenever Tarantino thinks he's going to start making, quote-unquote, old man movies. Yeah. Which I think was 60, right? Right, yeah, yeah. So over 60, we'll probably say is old. 
I had a few more suggestions for my own question. Go for it. Robert Altman was 76 when he made Gosford Park. Sidney Lumet was 83 when he made Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. It's a very good film. Akira Kurosawa was 75 when he made Ran. And um, Woody Allen was 77 when he made To Rome With Love. <laughs> His yeah. best film. Well, it's true. Woody Allen is the ultimate example of this uh He's 80 trend. when he made Cafe Society, and I think that's probably his best film. That is, is definitely is his best film, his yes. Magnum Opus. So from this, these examples, we can assume that there's no such thing as a sell-by date anymore. And there is no excuse for making bullshit when you're an old man, okay? Yeah. So sort it the fuck out, Woody. <laughs> <laughs> for God's sake. Bit doesn't, more effort. Doesn't matter that you're old. I'm going to watch uh, Crisis in six scenes, and if it's crap, I am not going to be happy because it would have been a waste of my time. I'm going to cut you any slack. No slack cut whatsoever. Christopher Young writes into film chat. Lovely to hear from you, Chris. He says, "Hi, film chat. General question: What is the film you are most looking forward to in 2017? Mine is Boss Baby." Boss Baby is a film with an excellent trailer. It's an animated movie. It stars Alec Baldwin. He plays a baby. Uh, he's some kind of super smart adult baby with an adult's voice. And he works in an office. I wasn't completely clear on the plot <laughs> when I watched the trailer, but there's some kind of cuckoo type situation where a baby is replaced by like a, you know, the Alec Baldwin super baby. And then there's a kid in the family who's like the only one who notices that the baby is any different to normal. And Should we listen to a clip or something? Like, get some audio? I don't know if that's necessary, Dan. I feel like I've really painted it. <laughs> painted it enough in words. Yeah, it's it's pretty much the same joke as Stewie in Family Guy, right? Where he's, yeah. he acts like an adult, but no, everyone pretends he's a real baby. Yeah. But this time, Alec Baldwin. So it's like, what if he was voiced by someone that you know who looked, what they look like? Do you think it'd be a better film if it was called Baby Boss? I think that's a funnier title. I think it would be a better film if it was called Boss, comma Baby. <laughs> Because they'd be like, I'm the boss, baby. <laughs> Which I assume is a line he delivers in the film. But I still think that'd be I think time. it's a very compelling premise because he's like an oligarch, right? Yeah. No one likes oligarchs, but babies are cute. So it creates a little schism in your mind watching it. You're like, oh, no, big business and corporations and abusing workers' rights. That's bad. But babies are babies sweet. Good. Sweet, baby good. Yeah. So I don't know what to think. We'll see many sequels along the lines <laughs> of... Boss puppy, boss kitten, yeah. boss the laughter of children or something. <laughs> boss rainbow. <laughs> yeah, why wasn't it just a sentient rainbow? <laughs> Who could be mad with that? I'd, I'd happily be exploited, have my labor exploited by a rainbow. <laughs> Sorry, I've got a, I've got a bit of a cold. I'm a bit tired. I'm a little drunk. I'm a little drunk. Olivia Waring sent us a link to one of her articles about a great bit arrogant um, about a great Hollywood injustice Hilary Swank has claimed that she was offered 20 times less pay than a male co-star having won two Oscars and here is a clip of her talking about it I had an Academy Award, no health insurance then I win my second Academy Award Mm. and the next you know couple movies later I get offered a movie but the male hadn't had any kind of critical success but had been in a movie where he was hot Mm -hmm. and he got offered 10 million dollars and I got offered 500,000 what yeah this is after two academy awards yes what What? are you talking about that's the truth the truth so I said no 
and then they went and found a newcomer who did it for 50,000. Mm. Well, here is like, there's two issues converging here, right? Because there's the gender pay gap. And there's also just, there's no, you're not paid on how good an actor you are. You're paid on your commercial viability. Yeah. In the same way, Chris Pratt probably gets more than Daniel Day-Lewis That's for a true, movie. Yeah. But um, I was, this makes me wonder that, uh, you know, sometimes people discuss how actors win Oscars and suddenly their profile goes way up and then they just make total garbage afterwards. Yeah. And and it's like, uh, you know, Natalie Portman makes Black Swan and then she goes and makes Your Highness or um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Halle Berry making Catwoman after um, Monsters Ball. And it's like, what what you know, aren't you a rarefied breed of actor now who can pick whatever brilliant role you want? And maybe the reality is that they just like their Oscar is not giving them the uh, uh, ability to choose their projects with as much freedom as you might imagine. Yeah. You know, and that Monsters Ball probably didn't make money hand over fist in the same way as, you know, whatever Blockbuster came out that year. Re- Return of the King or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, probably slightly less successful than Return of the King. Probably, probably. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So maybe maybe that's part of it. And maybe Hilary Swank was like, I'm not going to be in your stupid frat con- um, comedy or your um, incredibly bad and destined for failure superhero film. So. No, I'm going to make P.S. I Love You. Yeah, a brilliant film. Anyways, a piece of shit. That's terrible, yes. Superhero films announced Casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's fit to print Danny sent me some great casting news today I like it when Danny does the news research Because I'm lazy (laughs) (laughs) I love to do it Yeah, and uh, this one looks particularly fun so they're going to do a new musical adaptation of Charles Dickens' Oliver Twist. Now, you might think that there was already a definitive musical adaptation of Charles Dickens' Oliver Twist in the form of Carol Reed's musical Oliver! Exclamation mark. But yeah. this is going to be, wait for it, a new twist on the material. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. And they're going to do it in hip-hop form. Awesome. Hip-hoppers are all the rage now. Ever since Lin-Manuel Miranda watched R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet, and he was like, this is better than anything I could ever do, but I will do my best to to uh, imitate it. And they made Hamilton, which was a massive smash. Everyone loves Hamilton, so people love rapping now, even more than they did before. And so it's going to be a rap version of Oliver Twist. And the casting news is that Fagin, that anti-Semitic um, <laughs> character, will be played by Ice Cube. Brilliant. Brilliant. So I guess it will be hilarious. Is it a comedy or? Well, he's also, we discussed this on the podcast many episodes back, but he's attached to a version of Christmas Carol where he's Ebenezer Scrooge. So he's just on a tour of Dickens. Well, you know what I was thinking? Dickens and hip hop have a lot in common, right? They're both, he's always talking about the working class and the inequalities in society and impoverished inner city life. Yeah. And also he loves kind of slightly flamboyant, cartoonish names <laughs> i mean i think that if dickens was writing in the 90s he would come up with a name like easy or you know yeah i can see i can actually see that yeah They're both um you know both rappers and dickens sketched their times you know exactly describe the times they were living in there there's a straight line drawn from dickens to nwa i think yeah that's fair enough maybe that makes ice cube a perfect fit for fagin i think dr dre is the Barnaby Rudge of the 90s. The only thing I would say about your otherwise extremely insightful um, analogy 
is that I don't think Scrooge and Fagin are like the epitomes of Dickens' like social analytical characters, you know? Yeah. I mean, unless Fagin is making some point about how the Jews are taking over London's crime world. Um, in the, the, they're in... like gold. <laughs> <laughs> That's the and, basic thrust of his character, isn't it? <laughs> and how they're, yeah, they covet um, jewels and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I don't know, Scrooge, like, there's a certain amount of rich people bad uh, commentary there. But, yeah, I mean, more power to Ice's cube. His um that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it means absolutely nothing. What powder is cute. <laughs> um yeah. So you think he's gonna do a, a hip hop version of Pick a Pocket or Two? Well, will it be mm. like rap versions of the yeah. songs we're familiar with or just brand new songs? In this world one thing counts, in the bank large amounts. It's already quite <laughs> there's a lot of patter to it. Yeah. You wouldn't even need to change it. Robin them. Hood, what a crook, gave away what he took. <laughs> Chat is fast, subscribe to mine. 50 so, Sam, one of the 54 films I saw at the London Film Festival was Ethelin Ernest, which is coming out this Friday. It is written and directed by Roger Mainwood, and it is based on the Raymond Briggs book of the same name, which chronicles the marriage of his parents from their initial courtship and takes over in the 40 years and ends with their death. And in that 40 year period, obviously it's about Raymond Briggs childhood and also about Britain in general and how it changes in that time. I don't have a clip because there is no clip. I looked, there wasn't one. Fair enough. So this film really did a number on me because I started watching it and I was like, this is perfectly charming and a little kind of broad and the sort of dynamic is that Ernest, voiced by Jim Broadbent, is this super chirpy working class guy. I think his default level is just whistling. He's just a happy guy. And um, Ethel, voiced by Brendan uh, Blevlin. Blevlin? That's not Blethin. the name. Blevlin. Blevlin? Ble- <laughs> <laughs> by Brendan Blevlin. Um, is this very friendly, but very proud to the point of snobbish woman. And the dynamic is like a bit like a sort of sitcom. She's more of a social climber type. and he's, Yeah, and yeah. she's like horrified when Raymond Briggs wants to go to art college. She's like, oh my God, you know, our son's throwing away his life. But then as the film goes on, I found myself being wrapped up in it and it becomes very moving and it really caught me unawares. So the animation, as you expect from Raymond Briggs, um, all his adaptations have really stunning animation and this is no different. It's got his style in that it's his... Um, his kind of art. His kind of art, but it hasn't got the sort of hand-drawn nature of the snowman because i think there's just so it covers so much history and there's so much uh, scenes to get through that would just take years to someone to actually do it by hand so it's i think it's a bit more computer animated than the other ones but it's still really really charming and it's a really well structured film because it's basically just like little vignettes but it's very well paced and every little scene has some sort of comic punchline or 
some kind of seismic event happens. And there is a tendency for Ernest just to be sort of reading the paper and he's like, well, the war started or and just announce things. But rather than that being a sort of lazy device, it just, the whole thing rings so true. Just imagine that is what his dad would have done. Just sort of sat in the kitchen and just like read the headlines. Yeah. So it kind of works. And it has this very matter of fact tone to it. And the scenes, nothing's lingered on. It just sort of goes through year by year, event by event. And I think that helps it from becoming overly mawkish or sentimental because it's kind of sentimental premise but because it's so matter of fact in its execution it really earns its sentiment and the length of the marriage depicts probably the most transformative 40 years in british history or world history ever perhaps i don't know i can't think of another 40 years which is different only if it skipped ahead to brexit would it be able to (laughs) yeah there's a post there's a post uh credit sting where raymond briggs just reads the paper and he's like fuck at least (laughs) thank god my parents didn't live to see this and that's obviously like a really fascinating time and uh, Ernest is too old to go to war mm. it's all about the home front and building a bomb shelter and your railings go away for iron and this is like you know super fascinating time and one of the reasons the film is so moving is that it really accurately depicts the sort of human beings just sort of getting on with it sort of thing you they can sort of get through anything yeah. which is very kind of touching and I think this is very true of this World War II sequence partly because British propaganda have like co-opted the sort of blitz spirit, keep calm, carry on, which is like a universal thing. But I think the Brits have now taken that as like our defining characteristic, even though it's true of everybody. Yeah. And this mentality is somewhat reflected in Ethel and Ernest's marriage because they're basically the sort of constant and the world changes around them. And they're just soulmates. And the same conversation they have about getting like a gas cooker is the same conversation they have about someone landing on the moon. But rather than that being repetitive, it's just really endearing. And to get a little pretentious here, I'm no scholar, but there's this really famous film essay by Andre Bazin. He's like a luminary of film criticism. And he talks about, in this essay called The Ontology of the Photographic Image, brace yourself here. Okay. I'm about to get all Simon Mayer on you. Yeah. He's like, he talks about how the photographic image or like art evolved as a humanity's response to their own mortality. And he talks about this idea of a mummy complex. And we literally used to embalm the dead and try and preserve the body, thinking we preserve life. And then that kind of became something we're obsessed with. We're always trying to like cheat death by sort of creating images that will live on beyond us. Yeah. And the photographic image and film fulfills a psychological need to capture time and movement. You can like actually document a bit of life and it preserves. And I think it's something that connects with the sort of deep lizard part of your brain when there's a film which is just documenting life from one character's perspective. I think that's why like Boyhood's really effective or the first hour of Tree of Life, all the kid stuff. There's something about those kind of movies that just going to, maybe it's just me, but kind of hits me on this sort of, oh my God, what it means to be alive kind of level. Yeah, absolutely. Ethel and Ernest has that. And it kind of just goes along. And then it has this very beautifully judged, understated ending. And I was like, ugh slightly broken by it mm. i was like is that, I the noise, is that the noise you made I was like, uh, the cinema uh, no and i should you know it's by the guy who made the snowman i should have seen it coming you know yeah it's like fuck you raymond briggs fuck you did you, it briggsy. again briggsy you it, briggsy you did it again looks like sam's got a film to review he's just getting ready now 
Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. Okay, so Doctor Strange, it's the latest Marvel film coming on the heels of uh, Captain America's Civil War. It's um, the first one to introduce a new character into their expanding roster of superheroes since Ant-Man. And uh, they've delved back into another one of their sort of slightly weirder, more um, B-movie type properties uh, for another kind of... It's a bit like Ant-Man in a way in that it's a uh, visually creative and slightly more lighthearted and more self-contained type story than their uh, massive epics, which are you know, have a million characters and are all about cities exploding and stuff. So um, it stars Benedict Cumberbatch. He plays a doctor called Dr. Stephen Strange. His real name is Dr. Strange. Fortunately, he becomes a superhero and he's already got a sort of wacky name, so he doesn't need to change it. Yeah. And he's a uh, arrogant neurosurgeon who uh, is in a car accident and his hands are mangled. Oh, fuck. Which is a shame because he uses them daily at the hospital <laughs> so he retrains using his feet <laughs> so yes <laughs> enjoys the circus um, <laughs> the movie is four minutes long no he he tries a bunch of things to heal his hands doesn't work out and then he gets a hot tip that he can go to nepal and uh, visit some special monks and they will heal his hands for him awesome and there he encounters the ancient one played by tilda swinton in an absolutely brilliant performance that is kind of worth the price of admission alone um and she schools him about the mystic ways and inducts him into the the world of sorcery and teaches him about dimensions and spouts all kind of bullshit absolutely brilliantly. Here's a clip of her speaking to Stephen. I spent my last dollar getting here. One way ticket and you're talking to me about healing through belief. You're a man looking at the world through a keyhole and you spent your whole life trying to widen that keyhole to see more, to know more. And now on hearing that it can be widened, in ways you can't imagine, you reject the possibility. No, I reject it because I do not believe in fairy tales about chakras or energy or the power of belief. There is no such thing as spirit. We are made of matter and nothing more. You're just another tiny, momentary speck within an indifferent universe. You think too little of yourself. Oh, you think you see through me, do you? Well, you don't. But I see through you! I uh, So I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. But I'm a kind of paid up sucker for the Marvel formula. And Marvel are increasingly criticized for um, safety in their movies. Um, and I, I like them and I'm inclined to defend them. And what I would say about Marvel and their, their whole factory is that I think in order for them to come out and this, I don't know, I can't remember exactly which one this is now, but it's like the 12th one or something. In order for them to keep coming out and keep getting good reviews... Um, and I think this has been pretty well received, Doctor Strange. I think that although they are safe in a lot of ways, they are um, doing enough things that are different or that are new or that are still interesting to justify the continued existence of the franchise. If they were just coming out and they were literally the same every time, I think people would be sick of them. Sure. And they are, with each new thing, they are trying new stuff uh, within certain boundaries and I think they maybe get a little bit too much stick for being formulaic when that's the sort of the nature of blockbusters to an extent. I mean, it's only going to be so, you know, so new when you go to see it. And Doctor Strange follows very um, established narrative lines. It doesn't break much new ground in that way. It's actually a very similar story to Iron Man, 
which has been pointed out in a few reviews in that it's about a wealthy materialist guy who uh discovers there's more to life um and has his kind of ego crushed by an accident and then like manages to kind of repair himself and develops new powers and then discovers the importance of being a hero you know so it doesn't uh because the kind of way that the narrative plays out is not especially surprising it doesn't um it's not a movie that really hits you on a like you know tough emotional level it's not a terribly investing film but it is thoroughly entertaining and the visuals are genuinely very spectacular and um the visuals have been heavily praised and they are extremely cool i do think uh, as i mentioned in my intro to the episode they're very christopher nolan influenced and it's a slightly weird thing in a way because christopher nolan made inception which is all about dreams yeah but the dreams are people whose dreams resemble a bond film you know yeah so they're not particularly dreamlike dreams they're all like people in suits in cities you know like yeah, yeah. or like in the snow why know, isn't my gym teacher turning up and yelling at me exactly exactly why do i have clothes on yeah and uh and so i think that the, the kind of interpretation of trippy visuals in doctor strange is not so much just uh like um things that are truly like weird but it's things that are very beautiful and very there's a there's a there's a sort of fascination with geometric patterns in right. the way that they do the visuals and i think that um i don't know if it's truly trippy it, but it's kind of kaleidoscopic you right know? okay and there's a lot of art that's gone into it and i think that's kind of impressive in and of itself it's just more interesting to watch there's a lot of stuff going on that's that's like clever and that must have taken a huge amount of effort and it's also a film that's really anchored by its performances benedict Cumberbatch is good in it i find there's something about him that i find a bit unlikable and uh, and it's like not in that kind of uh like i find robert danny jr he's probably also a dick but i find him a bit more likable presence you know if you're comparing mm. Mar- marvel's narcissist superheroes um i don't know i just don't i just don't warm to benedict Cumberbatch particularly um what about his crazy accent we're talking about chakras and he's an american accent is fine i i think it's pretty good you know i was kind of fine with it but the i think like the real engines of the film are tilda swinton um and chiwetel Ejiofor, who are both absolutely brilliant they both play wizards a lot of the characters are wizards and they are just extremely good at delivering that kind of uh, nonsensical exposition about like fantasy terms talking about the eye of agamotto and the cloak of levitation and the boots of jumping and all that kind of crap <laughs> um and uh, there's something i think the way that tilda swinton's character is done is particularly brilliant because she is um there's something about tilda swinton that is naturally a little bit um ethereal ethereal and, and aloof yeah. But at the same time, she's extremely human and she seems like she'd be fun to hang out with. So you don't just kind of look at her as some kind of creature from above, like an angelic being, but that she seems like she'd be, you know, you want to have a drink with her, you know, and hear her sort of wisdom. <laughs> that was what I was thinking. When I, was, I, was yeah. the cinema. I want her to adopt me. And, and she nails the tone of the movie better than the script or like uh, anyone else, I think, because she is simultaneously can deliver sort of funny quippy lines that everyone in the movie is required to do but without seeming at all at odds with her pronouncements about the dark dimension and stuff uh yeah tilda is excellent and chiwetel ejiofor is also uh has a bit less to work with but is also doing a really fantastic job thesping up his uh all this sort of you can rely on the fests yeah mads mickelson has like i don't know he's evil isn't he like, i think that's he's his evil. character he's yeah. evil but he does a perfectly fine job. I think that Marvel's, you know, they have a history of having villains that are uh, considered to be quite bad. 
and his villain is pretty thinly sketched but i think it's kind of okay you know i didn't i wasn't desperate to learn about his childhood or you know whatever i think it was okay i think that it's basically a it's a fun romp it's got genuinely new and interesting visuals that are that are um clever that they do clever things with and it is dramatically not uh anything fantastic and the characterization is a little bit um more like they're ticking boxes on paper than something that you really feel developing in the movie um but i've i found it to be a fun saturday night um evening out you know that it's that kind of a film but you saw it on tuesday uh that was the problem that's why i hated the film <laughs> three days too late film so finally lo and behold reveries of the connected world is the new Werner herzog movie here is the official synopsis from magnolia pictures legendary master filmmaker Werner herzog examines the past present and constantly evolving future of the internet in lo and behold reveries of the connected world Working with NetScout, a world leader in real-time service assurance and cybersecurity, which came aboard as a producer and led him into a new world. Herxor conducted original interviews with cyberspace pioneers and prophets such as PayPal and Tesla co-founder Elon Musk, internet protocol inventor Bob Kahn, and famed hacker Kevin Mitnick. These provocative conversations reveal the ways in which the online world has transformed, how virtually everything in the real world works, from business to education, space travel to healthcare and the very heart of how we conduct our personal relationships. In the words of executive producer Jim McNeil, it's a journey even Werner, with his immense imagination and inquisitive mind, didn't expect. Unless you have lived in the technology space, you don't yet fully appreciate what dwells there. Herzog adds, It is one of the biggest revolutions we as humans are experiencing. Here's a clip from the beginning of the film where Herzog visits the university, which is the site of the birthplace for the internet. One of the science buildings here is considered the birthplace of the internet. This picture of some of the scientists involved was taken at this very moment. The corridors here look repulsive, and yet this one leads to some sort of a shrine reconstructed years later when its importance had sunk in. Repulsive corridors. This fucking shit. Repulsive. Who painted these corridors? They look absolutely repulsive. Kill them to put some paintings up. So I think this is a film where basically the synopsis kind of counts as a review. And if you like the idea of Werner Herzog interviewing a bunch of tech people, the film is literally that. Yeah. And he is a very entertaining guy, and I like Herzog a lot. And I thought this was a very fun, if slightly lightweight movie. And it's very loose in construction, and the film is split into sort of 10 parts, which are basically like 10 little short films. And I learned later that the origin of the project was going to be as a web series, which kind of makes sense when you watch the film, because there's a little bit sort of pieced together. And the subject matter is so vast, it's like, it's not even the internet, it's just all technology. And so he just can't really explore anything in much depth. And so there's one segment which is about a family which is the victim of all this internet trolling which could just be an entire documentary unto itself, but it's given about four minutes. But I think he's just sort of like, I've heard these trolls are a thing, so I'll go film this. And I'm like, I've heard there's robots that can play football, I'll go film that. 
and so on and so forth. But it's very entertaining. I think he is very good guy to have with this subject matter and he's a really good interviewer i think partly because he comes across as a bit eccentric and a bit weird so people kind of relax in his presence and there's a it's like borat yeah there's a term for it so the sort of no no i think you're right so that sort of court jester thing of where you sort of like position yourself as a sort of lower on the social strata so uh people sort of you can tell the truth and people open up to you because they don't uh they're not intimidated by you at all and he's also a good match for these sort of socially awkward tech billionaire types who are, I think, on a par with his weirdness. Yeah. You have to be a bit nuts, I think, to have one of those huge multi-conglomerate tech... Elon Musk is a weird guy, I'm pretty sure. Even though he seems pretty sane in these interviews, he wants to colonize Mars. That's, a, that's, that's a crazy thing to do. He's also, I think, Herzog is probably the closest you can get to an outsider's perspective on the internet for someone living now. Yeah, uh, he do, like he's a bit of a luddite, and he kind of approaches it with his objectivity, but also his sort of trademark lyrical finding the beauty, ecstatic truth, and everything. So I really enjoyed it. I would say, instead of it being some sort of intellectual undertaking, it's more this sort of impressionistic collection of ideas, and it's very funny and informative. And but he doesn't. It's just musings. He doesn't have a big conclusion about anything. I think because there isn't one to get at. It's just like the internet is changed things and here's why and here are some weird guys and here's these odd yeah. he finds the extremes of everything it sounds like something that you'd watch at school when the, you know towards the end of term once the uh like exams were finished and stuff yeah it's just like, really it's fun i would say is would be my uh my big takeaway yesterday i bumped into imelda staunton she was up with her dog and we Talking. I asked her what she does when she isn't acting. She said she likes podcasts for relaxing. Imelda, when you're in the mood, what do you listen to? She said, I listen to one podcast, I listen to one podcast. Well, you're the ones can kiss my ass, I listen to one podcast. Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat. Okay, thank you very much for listening to this episode. I appreciate it. And so does Danny. Yes. Um, we're going to be off next week. I'm in New York. Katie's in New York. Danny's in London, where he normally is, uh, recording his thoughts into a dictaphone and then uh, playing that to no one. Um, but we'll be back the week after that. We're going to be reviewing some cool stuff. Arrival, maybe, or something? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Makes sense. Well, you know, we'll be back. It's a good thing for us to review. <laughs> on landing if only there was a film called just back from called new york departure uh which we could review now um yeah and uh i hope you have a lovely two weeks listeners and you know keep writing in and stuff we have some correspondence that we didn't even manage to get to soon enough time and we're going to leave you with a bit of extra herzog he made so much material for his new documentary that he had some left over and we're close personal friends of Werner. yeah and we've featured him on the podcast previously and now we're going to hear a little more from him talking about technology, offering us his great thoughts and cementing his reputation as the world's smartest man. <laughs> well, there we are. <laughs> so enjoy that. Yes. Goodbye. See you Bye. Bye. My mother's old fax machine simply does not work. When I show it to the genius at the Apple store, he gives me a pointed look. Not because the design of the machine is repulsive, although it is, 
but because he is not the right person to go to if you want to repair a fax machine. I thank him and leave the shop. The fax was always an imperfect and sometimes frustrating device. I once watched Klaus Kinski reduce a fax machine to splinters with a ball-peen hammer because his name came out smudged on a contract. But now that even the Apple Store genius can find no use for them, they have acquired a sheen of nostalgia. The lumpen block, which once sputtered out illegible legal documents at a glacial pace, is now a time machine. It evokes images and sensations beyond itself. It is a symbol, a more powerful object than when it was created. Nevertheless, at the behest of my sister, I throw mine in the trash. I am on the dating app Tinder, which translates what used to be a fraught, hesitant negotiation of affections into a simple and even fun ontological project. The app is a fortune teller that spreads endless women before my gaze like tarot cards. Each one a possible future. I can invite them in or consign them to oblivion. Hours pass as I divide hundreds of females into these two baskets. Soon I will have categorized every woman within a hundred mile radius. Then five hundred. I am creating new populations, redrawing boundaries. There are no Berliners now, no old, no young, no rich, no poor. Only those Werner Herzog likes and those Werner Herzog does not. Mostly I find I do like them because the majority seem to share my love of traveling and also Netflix. Snapchat is a popular app that allows us to swap our faces with other faces. We have never been more obsessed with our own image and yet we offer it up freely to be transferred to a friend or even a stranger in a photograph. Social media is a communal narcissism that allows us to share in our own self-obsession. I make myself perfect revel in my beauty, and then make myself a mask others can wear. I have swapped my face with that of Klaus Kinski on the Blu-ray cover of my film Agira Wrath of God. It is very funny, I am laughing a lot at it. I will use this app regularly. Okay, Siri, what is my best film? Queen of the Desert. You are absolutely right. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.